morning, Bel Air. Well, as we gather, I know there's many joining us online and will after the fact as well. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open those up to Proverbs 22.6. If you're new, there's a red book in the pew right in front of you. That's our pew Bible. Uh, if you're in the front row, there's a little cubby right behind your leg. You can grab that there. If you're online or accessing Scripture using a mobile device, I uh, will be going through the New Revised Standard Version. If you don't have uh, an app on your phone that you found yet that you love, I, I highly recommend the U version, Y-O-U version. There's uh, not only translations from almost any language, almost every translation of Scripture as well, but also there's great reading plans. There's stuff for fathers, stuff for mothers, there's stuff for uh, kids, everything. And so I highly recommend that as well. In a moment, I'm going to have us uh, turn our hearts and minds to Proverbs 22, 6. And as I do so, let me just quickly say that we're starting a brand new series today. Through the summer, we're going to be taking a look at Solomon's wisdom through the silver screen. And if you were with us last week, you might recall that I showed how God's wisdom transcends all cultures and God's wisdom transcends all of human history. And actually, we can actually look around us at our culture around us, no matter what historical time period we're in, no matter where we live, no matter where we're born, no matter what's going on, we can actually see echoes of God's truth all around us. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to go listen to that message. But we see that about 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul modeled this for us. He was in a place called Athens. Very influential place in the world, very complex world at the time. And what Paul does is he is able to communicate God's wisdom, doing a number of things. And one of those, he actually quotes a first century poet of the day. And what's so remarkable is that when you consider that that poet was actually writing his poem about the god Zeus. And what's so amazing about that is that it's included in Scripture. That all of Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is inspired by God. And here we have someone looking at culture and saying, look, right there, right there, even the Apostle Paul says, he says, even as one of your poets has said, in him we move and breathe and have our being. Well, that was aimed at Zeus. And the Apostle Paul used that. And he says, that hymn that you're talking about, it's not Zeus. It's not somebody that could be built with human hands or just live in some sort of altar. But this hymn that you're talking about, that you've spoken about, it's the living God who you can know, who has revealed himself to us, who was born as Jesus from Nazareth. And so what we're going to do over this summer is we're going to take a look at God's wisdom and we're going to look at our modern day poets as well. We're going to take a look at modern day films and we're going to see how there's echo of God's wisdom all around us. And so let's take a look at this, very applicable on a Father's Day. But let me say this, whether you are a father or not, a parent or not, if you are a child, if you have parents, whether living or estranged from you or not living, that today's message is for you. So let me read this. This is Proverbs 22.6. It reads, train children in the right way, and when old... They will not stray. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's Word. Now, that was kind of a th quiet. <laughs> Thanks be to God. I mean, I heard from some of your inflection, there was like a question mark. Thanks be to God? Because I imagine many of the parents in the room are like, well, <laughs> 
Seriously? Like you're gonna kick off a series on wisdom and you're starting with this because I haven't experienced this. I mean, it's important to know that right from the get-go, we look at this and if you're honest with yourself and really if you consider your own journey as a child or as a parent, you might not see this playing out. And yet this is God's wisdom. This is not Solomon's wisdom. This is God's wisdom through Solomon. It is as true to every culture in history, but also every historical time period. And you have to understand that Proverbs, written by King Solomon, is what's referred to as wisdom literature. This is not only wisdom, but it's God's wisdom. And you have to read wisdom literature different than you read the prophecies of Scripture. So if there is a prophecy that God speaks about Jesus, about the nation of Israel, about whatever it may be, that this will happen, you have to read it as such, that God is faithful and God never breaks God's promise. And yet this wisdom literature here, it seems to be, when you read it face value, train children the right way and when old, they will not stray. And some of you are like, I've trained them in the right way and they are strain. They have strayed. I'm not going to get a card, you might say. I'm not going to get a phone call. I haven't in years. They won't come to church. They don't love God. They are so far from everything that I raised them up to be. And so at first glance, this seems very hard, very difficult. But we have to understand that this is wisdom literature. Now, I want to be very clear. I don't want to leave any misconceptions that somehow wisdom literature is somehow less important or like second-rate God's truth. No, not at all. But what you have to understand is you have to approach wisdom literature to understand that this is God's wisdom to us. And actually, as we begin to unpack what the Hebrew language is saying, which actually some of it gets lost in the translation to the English, we'll actually begin to see that what we read here at face value isn't the essence, isn't the thrust of what God is speaking through Solomon. So first, let me say that this is wisdom literature. Second is this. Look again, beginning in verse 6, it says, train children. Now, some translations say raise up or train up. And the imagery that's given here in the Hebrew language uh, is the word chanach. And it literally is the beginning sense of that word is where we get the word catechism in the English. Also, the image of this isn't one where you just flip a light switch. This is not a one-night process. This doesn't happen overnight. This isn't quick. This isn't something that just happens. But there is a gradual raising up, a training up that takes time, that takes patience, that takes perseverance, that takes humility. And this is something that we absolutely have to hear today especially in the West, especially in Los Angeles, especially in 2016, because we live in a culture, there's some goods to this and there's some bad things to this, but we live in a culture that is really good at outsourcing things in our life. And in some ways, be thankful for that. Be thankful that you are not the, the source of all the things that you get to enjoy in life. I mean, be thankful that you have outsourced to somebody else the making of your shoes. How hard would that be? If you had nobody else to make your shoes and you had to learn how to make your own shoes, be so thankful that if you eat chicken that you have outsourced the killing, the cleaning, and the prep so that you get to just walk into Ralph's or Vaughn's or the farmer's market and you get a boneless, skinless chicken breast. Be thankful that you outsource some of those things. You outsource it at work. You outsource it in different ways throughout your life. You outsource your memory to your phone. My phone's right over there. I have no more memory. I just put it in my phone. 
to remember a, a cell phone, a what? To-do list? We, we, outs- we, we are in an outsourcing culture. The problem is, as parents, and you have to listen to this, you have to hear, there's one thing that you cannot outsource. You can't outsource your role as a parent. You alone are responsible for being a good parent. You can't outsource that. In every culture, in every moment in history, parents have to be parents. And we live in a culture now that is all about outsourcing parenting. And we actually, we've bought into this lie that we actually think that that's a good thing, that it's the most helpful thing. We outsource parenting to coaches, to educators, to counselors. We kind of say, I love you. And I hope that you kind of get raised up the way I want you to. And this passage is saying, this wisdom from God is saying that parents, it is your responsibility. You have to take ownership for that. You see, there are a lot less parents that choose to be a parent than parents that become parents. Now, let me slow that down and unpack it a little bit. Every parent who has a child, they become a parent when their child is born. You can go your entire parenting life and never choose to be a parent. Well, yeah, you're a parent because you became a parent, but unless you choose to be a parent, unless you actually choose to do the things that we're about to unpack, you're not parenting. You might wear the label of a parent or wear the label of a father or a mother or a grandparent, but you're not mentoring, you're not training, you're not instructing, you're not raising up, you're not training up. And we absolutely have to understand that especially in this culture, that parents, we need to know one thing more than anything else. That what you have to give your kids isn't the best education. It's not about getting them in the right school. It's not about getting them on the right team. It's not about getting them the right coach or the right opportunities. It's not about getting them the right friends. It's about getting them wisdom. That supersedes anything else. They can get into the right school, have the right coach, have the right friends, but if they don't know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it, if they don't have wisdom, you could set up all these things. You can invest your life. You can can sacrifice to give them these opportunities, but if they do not have wisdom, you've left them at a place that is so less than what God intends for you to leave them with. We've got to understand a little bit about what this word to train up means. So we'll come back to Proverbs 22.6, but let's look ahead at Ephesians 6.4. Go with me here. Hook to the right if you have your pew Bibles. As we get now into the New Testament, again, this is God's wisdom. It doesn't change. It is nuanced throughout cultures and across history. It is applied throughout space and time, but Ephesians 6, 4, the Apostle Paul first in verse 1 is speaking to parents, but right here, and it's page 952 in your pew Bible if you want to get there real quick, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 4. He's talking first to parents, he's talking to kids, and now he zeroes in on fathers, and he says this, and fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And in the Greek language, which is the language of the New Testament, different than the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew language. In the Greek language, this this sense that the Apostle Paul is saying right there in the beginning, he's saying, 
Not so much, don't make decisions that will cause your kids to get angry from time to time. You see, good parenting is actually going to provoke sometimes frustration and anger among kids. We'll get there in a moment. But what the Apostle Paul is saying is that there's actually a way that you can, that you can parent kids that actually causes bitterness and resentment and a deep-seated anger that spills over into every area of life. You know, anger is like the black hole emotion. It just devours everything else. And there's actually a way that you can parent that actually causes your kids to, to, to spurn you. And even as I say that, I, I imagine that that stirs up some emotions right now. Of course, we're in a public place. We've got a lot of people here, people joining us online. There's probably people here who are joining us online because it's too hard for them to be here in public on Father's Day because they're so estranged from their kids. And it's never too late. The Apostle Paul says that there is a, an antidote, a, a vaccination, uh, a serum, so to speak, that actually can prevent or can undo that deep-seated bitterness, that, that, that deep-seated resentment, and it's this. The second half of verse 4 in Ephesians 6, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Two words there, the word discipline. And images might come to mind of what discipline is, and some of you might love that. You're like, yes, he's going to talk about discipline. This is it. Some of you are like, no. Discipline, that's, that's why. That's, that's, that's a bad word. And whatever we've loaded into that word here in our modern culture, we have to understand what it means in the first century. The word padaya is the word for discipline. It's the same root word that we get the word pediatrics from. And so the first of those two things, discipline and instruction, the Apostle Paul says, are necessary in order for parents to raise up kids, whether you're a father, a mother, a grandparent, extended family, an adopted parent, a step-parent, a blended family, or if you are a mentor to the next generation, there's two things that are absolutely necessary to raise them up, to train them up. And the first is this, it's discipline. And the imagery here is one of simply providing boundaries. It's providing rules. It's saying yes and no. It's saying this is good and this is bad. And it's absolutely necessary for a parent or a mentor or a grandparent, somebody who's an authority figure, it's absolutely necessary for them to discipline children because if not, if that's not there, if there's no boundaries given to kids, if there's no rules given to kids, if there's no sense of right and wrong, actually they're going to grow up and they're going to be bitter and they're going to be angry and they're going to be frustrated because they're actually going to experience the consequences of a boundaryless life. And it's going to wreak havoc, in the, wreak havoc in their relationships, whether personally or in the workplace. And the Apostle Paul is saying that you absolutely, you have to set boundaries and rules. But at the same time, there has to be instruction. And the Greek word there is actually a very, very positive word. Not that the word for discipline is negative, but it's actually a very positive word that literally means to build up to counsel. It's a very relational word. 
You know, if you were to build a home, you have to know what your property lines are. You have to know what the boundaries are. But you also have to have building supplies. And you've got to take the time to actually build that home. And it's the image that's given. Parents, if you want to raise up your kids, you have to know where the boundaries, they have to know where they end and somebody else begins. You have to teach them how to navigate life through these rules and these boundaries, but the same way you've got to counsel them, you've got to shepherd them. It's got to be a very relational approach. You've got to give them a reason why you say no. You've got to to shepherd them in a way that they can actually understand qualitatively why you are doing those things. Mr. Miyagi had it so on point. Perfect blend for Danny LaRusso. And what's so interesting is you watch the journey of him coaching, mentoring. In the movie Karate Kid. And what's so amazing is that he actually embodies for us in a very modern day, kind of our modern day poet, so to speak. We can see right there that Mr. Miyagi models for us what it means for us to be a good mentor, to be a good parent, to be a good father. You know, at first there were the rules, there was the boundaries. Remember, when he begins to coach, when he begins to train this young man, Daniel Russo, so that he can fend off, you know, the bullies in his life. And if you haven't seen Karate Kid, I don't know where you've been, but you've got to watch it. Um, Somebody walked up to me afterwards and said, what was that movie that you referenced, Karate Kid? Did it come out this year? No, but it's okay. So... Uh, not everybody listens to Zeus poems and not everybody watches Karate Kid, but go with me here. So there's this, or ask the person next to you afterwards, Mr. Miyagi, first has him in his training. He says, what I want you to do, remember this? He says, I want you to wax on and wax off, right, this car. And at first he begins to do it and he says, no, not like this, like this. And he shows him the motion. And in that instant he is giving him discipline. He's setting boundaries. He's saying, this is the movement. It's not this. It's not this. It's this and this. And he's hard on him. He says, this is how it's, this is the, this is how I want you to do this. And then he moves on to sand the floor. Remember that? And he's kind of doing this. He says, no, it's like this and this. You remember that scene? And he's setting these boundaries. He's creating these rules. And now, Daniel LaRusso, this young boy who's a high school, he's frustrated He's actually angry. He's like, what does this have to do with anything? Parents, when you give discipline, when you give rules, when you set boundaries, your kids are going to be frustrated, of course. And that can be very hard for some of you. It can be very difficult for some of you. But look at Mr. Miyagi. He presses on. He teaches them how to paint the fence, remember? And it's not this, and it's not this. And no, this. And, and he's forceful about it. Right boundaries, right rules. He's, this is how I want you to do it. He says, come back tomorrow, and he does it over and over, and now Daniel LaRusso has no idea how this has anything to do with karate. He's tired, he's exhausted, he's frustrated, and then all of a sudden, Mr. Miyagi just pounces on him. He comes after him, and there's this muscle memory that's been created where he is able to wax on, wax off, to sand the floor, to paint the fence, and he actually, he's doing karate. And Mr. Miyagi then instructs him. He counsels him. He builds him up in a very relational way. You see, he is able to discipline and instruct. He provides rules and relationship. He provides boundaries and he builds them up. And Daniel Russo isn't frustrated. He's actually being trained up. 
He's being raised up. And some of you as parents, it's more natural for you to go to the discipline. No, yes, right, wrong. And if you don't pair that with a relationship, if you just set boundaries without building them up, you're going to embitter them. That might be the reason why there's a wedge between the two of you right now. But some of you, you... It's more natural for the relationship. Ah, the rules. I'm not that kind of a parent. I'm not going to say what's right or wrong. They've got to discover it for themselves. You will absolutely frustrate them just the same. Because what you're not doing is you're not providing the right movement, the right muscle memory, how to respond to when somebody confronts them in anger or hate. It has to be both discipline, instruction, boundaries, and building up. And what's so amazing about both of those things, the Apostle Paul separates in the Greek language to give focus towards, you've got to do both of those. Both of those truths are, are actually live, they're contained within the Hebrew word chanak, which in Proverbs 22.6 is the word for train up, to raise up. So let's go back now to Proverbs 22.6. This wisdom that is true across all cultures, across all time periods, What's so amazing about this is it says, train children in the right way. It's discipline, it's boundaries, it's rules, but it's also relationship. It's building them up and it takes time. This isn't an overnight thing. It takes patience, it takes perseverance. So many moments where your kids are angry, frustrated with you, don't like what you're saying, but press on because there is a right way. And in the book of Proverbs, there's two ways. There's the way of wisdom and the way of folly. And on and on, we'll see throughout this summer that actually the way of wisdom is, uh, trust me, you want to choose the way of wisdom versus the way of folly. And parents and fathers and grandparents, adopted parents, step-parents, mentors, we are responsible for raising up the next generation in the way of wisdom. Moses described those two different ways, same thing, but the way of life versus the way of death. And what's so amazing about this in the Hebrew language, verse 6, is trained children not only in the right way, but all the scholars point to that there's this subtlety to the Hebrew language that actually includes within the right way it includes within it the right way according to that child. And what's so amazing about this wisdom that was given to us almost 3,000 years ago is that developmental psychologists are actually catching up with this truth. Parents, you know this, if you've got more than one kid, that how you had to parent your first child was different than how you had to parent your second child, maybe different than how you had to parent your third child that actually we can see around us that there's such a diversity of how God has created us that we have different personalities, different makeup, different ways in which inspire us. Some people actually rise to the occasion if they are encouraged. Some people actually kind of fall flat if they're encouraged and actually need the harsh pushing. And what's so fascinating is that child developmentalists and educators are saying that actually kids, they can't fit into a box. That actually we, we learn very differently. Some are more right brain thinkers, some are more left brain thinkers. Some are more motivated by rules and some absolutely need that relationship. But the Apostle Paul said it and God's wisdom through Solomon says it, that both rules and relationship are needed. You can't say, well, they just need relationship and no rules or just rules and no relationship. No, you need both. But the nuances of that are absolutely tailored to the kid. One of the best 
TED Talks I ever heard. Go to TED.com. If you haven't heard of this, it's phenomenal. Technology, education, design. Sir Ken Robinson, he gives this message 10 years ago this past February. Almost 40 million people have watched this. And the title of this TED Talk is this, Do Schools Kill Creativity? And he gives this phenomenal message in the midst of it. He actually talks about how over the years that we've gone from educating and training the whole person to nowadays we kind of train people from the, the head up and really more left brain than right brain. And he goes on and on. He says, you know, in some ways, the way that we've educated people is that we're actually, we're killing creativity. And we put people in these neat little boxes and it's not working for some people. In fact, he tells this story of this young girl many years ago, eight years old. She's, according to teachers, a mess in school. She's not paying attention. She's not getting her homework done. She's eight years old. And so the teachers are saying, you know, she's sick. She's got problems. She needs to be medicated. So the mom takes her into a specialist. The specialist is talking to her, talking to the mom. The girl's sitting on her hands, fidgeting, and she can barely sit still. And then the specialist, Sir Ken Robinson, says in this amazing TED Talk, you've got to watch later, he says that the specialist looks at the little girl and says, can I talk to your mom privately for just a moment? Can you, can you go into this room right over here? And as he has her go into the room, he actually has the radio turned on. And as they step outside, the door shuts behind them. There's this one-way glass. They're able to look in and see this girl. And the mom is about to break into tears. And he stops her and he says, look at your daughter right now. And the mom looks in. She sees this eight-year-old girl dancing to the music with such beauty. Amazing. Amazing, majestic movement. And the specialist is looking at the mom, looking at the daughter, moving in ways that she's never seen her move, listening to this music. And the specialist says, your daughter's not sick. Your daughter's a dancer. Put her in a dance school. So what did the mom do? She followed the wisdom, she might not have even known it, of what God was saying through King Solomon. She trained her up in the way that was according best her. She ended up getting into the Royal School of Ballet. She ended up becoming a phenomenal dancer. She describes in her memoirs that she walks in this class and there's people doing ballet and jazz and tap and contemporary, and she realized that now for the first time in her life, she was surrounded by people that were just like her. She grew up to be one of the most famous ballerinas ever. She founded the Jillian Lynn School of Dance. She met Andrew Lloyd Webber. She is responsible for choreographing and creating some of the most beautiful dance pieces the world's ever seen. And somebody else almost medicated her. Somebody else almost missed the opportunity to train her up, to raise her up in the way that she needed. And what the Apostle Paul and what Solomon is saying is here that you've got to know your kids. You've got to spend time with them. They might be different than you. How you learned as a kid might be different than how they learned, but they need rules. They need relationship. They need discipline. They need instruction. Both of those things have to happen. And if you do that, then it says, and when old, they will not stray. And you're like, oh, I love that sermon. And so you got it. Why did you have to say that? Couldn't you just end your sermon right there? 
I mean, Father's Day lunch is coming. Can't you just end there? What's with this? Drew, it seems clear when they're old, they will not stray. You have to understand, again, that this is wisdom literature. And in the Hebrew language, the imagery that's given here with that phrase, it's kind of lost in how we translate it to the English, but the phrase is more close to this, that they will not outgrow it. You know, kids, we outgrow shoes. We outgrow our toys. We outgrow some of our experiences and the things that we like and the TV shows and the cartoons. And maybe we, sometimes we outgrow things that we like when we're a kid, but you will never outgrow wisdom. And what's true is this, no matter what culture you grow up in, no matter where in human history you live, that parents, when you give kids wisdom, you are giving them something that they will carry with them the rest of their life. Yes, they may turn from it, but they will know that they are turning from it. And there will be what's called cognitive dissonance. There will be a disconnect from what they are choosing and what they were instructed. And we all have to go through that. I mean, every single one of us, there's things that our parents said to us and coached us and trained us that we've chosen different things. And we live within that freedom of that world. But parents, we have this opportunity to, to give wisdom to our kids. They'll never outgrow it. And even if maybe 30 years after they've turned, there might be a moment where they say, I can't, I, I can't believe it. Dad was right. Mom was right. And I love the imagery that's given in the New Testament. Jesus tells the story of the parable of the prodigal son. Some people refer to it as the parable of the running father. You got a father with two sons, a younger one and an older one. Both of them, they didn't really want the father. They wanted the father's things. The older one stuck around so he could get it later on. The younger one said, I want it now, as if saying, you're dead to me. He was raised up. He was trained up. He turned, he strayed, he went away from his father. And there's this amazing moment, it's in the Gospel according to Luke, where he comes to his senses. And where does he go? He doesn't go to his friends. He doesn't go to his teachers. He says, I'll go to my father. And he said that because his father had trained him in wisdom. They had taken the time for both discipline and instruction, rules and relationship, boundaries and building up. And he comes back to him and the father sees him from far off and he runs to him. And he doesn't run to him with rules. He doesn't run to him with discipline. He runs to him with relationship, with love. And his kids... What's so amazing is that that points to a heavenly father that can actually give us perfectly the boundaries that we really need and can give us the building up, the, the, the relationship that we, that we really need. And what's so true about this church is that on one hand, we need to see our Heavenly Father that pursues us and loves us and sprints towards us, who gives us both that discipline and that instruction. But we need to be the type of people that choose to do that in our families as fathers, as parents, as grandparents, as extended family, as step-parents, as adopted parents. We have to choose that. That doesn't just happen. But also, we need to be a church of mentors. Mr. Miyagi, 
chose to be a parent to Danny LaRusso. It wasn't about the bearing, it was about the caring. He wasn't a biological related father, he was his adopted father, so to speak, not even in a legal sort of way. He came alongside him, absolutely changed his life, and we have to be a church. As I look out, the untapped potential of the wisdom and the faith and the skills and the experiences of all the people here, whether you're a father or a mother, a parent, a grandparent, or you don't have kids, or you're not married, every single one of you has something to give, something to offer, something to pour into somebody else's life. And you might not know it because you're here every Sunday, but we have needs in every single one of our children programming up through our youth. In every classroom, there's needs, from the youngest to the oldest. And we absolutely have to be the church that God is calling us to be. And I meet pastors from churches all over Los Angeles, and the consistent thing that they say to me is, Drew, one of the awesome things that you have a reputation for, that we love about your church, that we wish we had, is that your church is multi-generational. Some will say, we don't have people over 30 in our church. We, there's just like no mentors. We're just trying to figure this out. We, there's all these issues, but you have people who are like 31. <laughs> and 81 and 101. How amazing is that? And multi-generational is different than just a generation over here and a generation over here and a generation over here that kind of stays in their compartments. But we have an opportunity to be a church that, that pours into the next generation. And maybe some of you on this Father's Day are a father who's going to choose more than ever to be that parent. Well, God can give you those resources. God can give you that wisdom. Whether it's spending time in Scripture, whether it's time in prayer, whether it's surrounding yourself with Christian men. We actually have people who represent the men's ministry here of this church that would love to talk to you afterwards in the Welcome Center. It's a great group of guys. Whether, and they're not just all dads, but they're men. And the unique needs of that, they can be part of resourcing you and equipping you to be the type of father that God longs for you to be. And some of you are, are, are parents. It's going to take all of us. And some of you, you don't fit any of those categories, but you have an opportunity in this season right now to step out and to say, you know what? I don't know what it's going to look like, but I want to serve. I want to mentor. Maybe I'll just greet. Maybe I'll just do things behind the scene. Maybe I'll help check people in. Maybe I'll just grill stuff. I can grill stuff. Maybe I'll cut things out. I don't know what it is, but I just want to help. And I feel convicted. I feel called. I want to I step in and raise up and train up the next generation. We have somebody who's available afterwards as well in the Welcome Center who would love to talk to you about that. What an amazing opportunity we have on this Father's Day, fathers, to receive the greatest gift that you could ever receive. I mean, you'll get cards. You might get a, a new grilling spatula. I got a certificate to go camping. Never been camping with my wife and my son. Been married for 10 years. It's the greatest gift she's ever given me, a certificate. Let's go camping. Oh, you did it. Honey, you did it. You said yes to camping. I mean, it's huge, right? Greatest gift. That's the most sacrificial gift that she's ever given. I'm thrilled, right? You're getting gifts today. But the greatest gift that you can receive is this, the opportunity to give wisdom to your kids. And I'm not just saying that. Parents, you know what that's like. You know what that's like. When you see your kid make a decision that you look back and you say, oh, wow, that was wise. Let's pray. God, on this... Father's Day, on this Sunday, 
I know I'm reminded of how every single one of us, myself included, absolutely needs wisdom. So God, would we turn to you? Would we look to you? Would you be the one that fills us with your wisdom? May we pray for that. May we long for that. As kids, as parents, everything in between, God, we, we need that today. So let us turn our hearts and our minds back to you, the giver of true wisdom. We thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we say it together. Amen.